Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted to sample the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. I'm on a journey to heal and get better in all areas of life. And I want to do it with you. Welcome to Heal Squad by Maria Menunos, where we improve and heal all parts of our lives, most importantly, our health. Heal Squad by Maria Menunos, your life improvement series starts now. Hey friends, welcome to Heal Squad All-Stars, where you get to hear from our top guests. Think of it as a cheat sheet to a better you. All of the best takeaways from the top experts in one show. This Heal Squad All-Stars episode centers around mastering success and conscious entrepreneurship with Marie Forleo, Kendra Scott, Adam Carolla, and Tom Derry. Have your notebooks out and get ready to heal, my friends. This edition of Heal Squad All-Stars starts now. But for those of us, for whatever reason, feel called to create something, you know, to generate it and to kind of lead it out into the world. And frankly, I think even on uh, employees, team members, we all need to have the entrepreneurial mindset because there's no sure things anymore. So we have to always mm-hmm. be innovating. We have to always be marketing. But the thing that I want to say is this. When you understand modern marketing, the way that I teach it and the way we can share it, the best of your humanity comes out, not the worst. So to be a really effective modern marketer, you have to have tremendous empathy, transparency. You have to listen. You have, I have to all speak. that. Yes, generosity. Create. I have that too. Yes, okay. like going so, out checklist. Okay. Yes. So, and let me ask you this, Maria, because we're friends, and I know the freaking answer to this. So, but I need to lead you there. Do you like? sharing with people, like if you've seen the best movie ever, do you like calling people and be like, Oh my, you have to drop everything. Yes. That's my everything is sharing. So do you, if, if you found, if you hit up an amazing like restaurant, would you not call me and be like, Marie, you have to eat this and and you need to go there now. Two seconds. I feel like I spend all my time just sharing everything. Yes. So you already have the qualities of a fantastic modern marketer. We just haven't Corral that energy. Whoa. Yes. Strategies and vehicles that can help you create the kind of conversion and momentum that can forward your business goals. Okay. Let me say something here. What you just said hit me so hard because at the beginning of this, I'm like, I don't like sales. I'm not really good at this stuff, whatever. But I actually am amazing at sales because when I'm talking about my favorite TV show, my favorite food, my favorite new health thing or whatever, I'll sell a billion of them. Like people go and buy whatever it is and do whatever it is because they know I'm honest. So transparency. Um, and, and so now if I can funnel it, I think the thing is, is we all are afraid to do it for ourselves, right? It's like advocating for ourselves or anything like that feels hard because like, even when I tell someone to listen to the show, I'll talk to someone, I'll be helping them with their health. And then I'm like, really, honestly, you should be listening to the show. I'm like, I'm not saying that because I want you to download my show and it's about me. I'm like, it's really your accountability partner every day to stay on track. And you're every day going to have somebody in your face that's helping you and giving you some new nugget that's going to change your life. So that's what I'm saying the few times I say it. Um, and so I understand what's what the feeling is behind it. It's like a, 
it's like, oh, I don't want them to think I'm just saying it for me. And I yeah. want me, me, me. I want to feel amazing. Like make me, you know, the number one health show or whatever. It's not a vanity thing. It's we have to focus more on the actual root of what you really want. That's right. And so this is fun though. This is the fun zone. So when these light bulbs start to go off, this is how I have so much fun working with people because I'm like, look, if I can remove a few of these emotional and again, very legitimate blocks, they were there for a reason, but we're just not seeing the whole picture of what the Mm -hmm. other possibility is. And so when you get to like unleash the love of marketing. And that's, I'm like a passionate lover of marketing because I'm a passionate lover of transformation. I'm a passionate lover of getting people results. So I am fucking unashamed because we pour so much into what we do. I'm like, yeah. look, I get your ass in this. And if you don't like it, I'll refund your money. I don't care. Like, do you know what I mean? Like I'm here to serve you, but I'm going to bring all of my energy. I'm going to bring all of my creativity. I'm going to bring all of this, what God gave me if you tell me that you have an issue or a challenge, and I am certain in my heart of hearts that I have something that can get you on that path to where you want to go, again, I am stealing from you if I don't open my mouth or if I don't do everything I can to give you the opportunity to step into that reality for yourself. Wow. And so, and again, then there's, and then there's the tools and strategies, but if we don't have this alignment in us where we feel really pure about it and it is really pure, mm-hmm. No, you can't outsource this. You know this. And so many people, I mean, not to say that like I have, I have team, I have people, we've built this team. So I have lots of smart people helping me, but if I'm not the champion of my brand and my products and my services, no one's ever going to fight harder for my business than I am. No one's ever going to go out there, do you know, and be that spokesperson and make those connections or those partnerships or opportunities or whatever. They're not going to want it more than I do. Nope. No one. And that's one block, but I feel like we also have other blocks. Like, yeah, I can't do it. I don't know how to yeah. do this, which is, I'll tell you for years been in my head. I can't do it. I, I don't know what to do. How, do. how do you structure these A corps, C corps, whatever the fuck corps. And then you do, you know, rounds of investing and all this stuff. And like, uh, yeah. it just seems yeah. so hard. And I remember saying, I wish I went to business school. And I really wanted to go to business school. And so many times in my journey, I've said, I'm going to go to business school. Now I want to go to medical school. So I want to do that too. But that's why the light bulb went off when you said you were redoing B-School and making a fresh new, you know, visual course that, you know, is updated. I was like, oh, it's time. This is, yeah. this is my time to do this. Yes. So, okay. Let me address what you said before, because the, again, mm-hmm. all legitimate fear. So we got a great fix for this. It's something we've mentioned on the show before. So people can go back and dive, dive deep into that. So everything you mentioned, like, I don't know an S corp and is a C corp. What the hell do I do? Do I want funding? Do I not want funding? How do I set this thing up? Blah, 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 blah. Our magic phrase, everything is figure outable. All that totally figure outable. And here's the best thing when it comes to especially small business owners like us, right? We're like, I've got this idea. I want to start getting out there. Starting small and sucky beats staying stucky. What does that mean? We don't have to get it perfect. We're going to figure it out. We don't have Mm -hmm. to have a gajillion dollar investment right away. Some of the most successful businesses start out really small. You get your one product out, you get your one service out, you get the ball rolling, and we're going to figure it out as we go. Everything is figure outable. There's been millions and millions of successful business owners. Like Maria, you are so smart. Your listeners are so smart. I'm not the smartest tool in the shed, but God damn it, I am committed. (laughs) Really? I'm like, I'll try harder than anybody. You know, but, but also, you just need some guidance. Like one of the other things, and this is this is why I get so passionate about this. So starting when I started early 2000s, it was a different world. Social didn't exist. We didn't have TikTok. There wasn't Instagram. There wasn't any of that. YouTube didn't exist. Facebook didn't exist, right? So I started my business back in the day when people were like, online business, like what the hell is that? And I'm here typing emails, creating content weekly, starting this whole party train. One of the challenges now that I love helping people solve for is to reduce the overwhelm because people are like, there's a gajillion, yes. way, right? There's a, yes. 
Should I go get funding? Do I need a series A? Do I want to self-fund? We can simplify all of this for people. Um, And I know we're going to talk about it in a few minutes, but we've got something free coming up where I teach people a little bit of a roadmap. I call them the six profit boosters, where we help people map out the six core things that if you pay attention to these six core areas, not 757, not 43,000 different things, six core things in one specific order. I've seen over 80,000 case studies. This is the path that gets you on the road to success with creating the highest likelihood of the outcomes you want possible. No one's got a business crystal ball, not me or anyone else. So there's no such thing as like guaranteed results, but there are tried and true things that if you do this in this particular order, you are setting yourself up for the best possible chance of everything working but we basically walk you through all of those six profit boosters and help you have the clarity, the confidence, and the skills that you need to make this kind of business happen. So whether you're just starting out and you're like, I don't know what the is going on. I know I want a business. I don't know if I should have one. What are my ideas? How do I vet them? We actually have a whole program for you called Start the Right Business that's included. So that's that. We've got that part handled. For people who already have a business, but it's either like not super working for you, or you feel overwhelmed, or you've hit a plateau, it's probably because one of these six profit boosters, you're off kilter, or you're not focusing on the right things. Here's something I like to share, Maria, with people. Most entrepreneurs struggle and ultimately fail, not because they're not working hard enough, but because they're working way too hard on all the wrong things. Mm. They're on social all the goddamn time, and they don't know what the hell they're doing there, right? They're like doing all this stuff. It's like a gajillion shiny objects. They feel like they're working nonstop, but the results, whether that is the income, the revenue, the sales, the growth, like is not there. I can guarantee they're they're burning out on the wrong shit. And so the B-School helps you focus on the critical few things. And I'm just going to be real. You know me, so you can attest this. I do not. I, first of all, I've been doing this so long. I don't want to work 24-7. Yeah. I got a man. I got a pet. I got family. I got friends. Do you, <laughs> you have a I mean? rich life. Like I've always said this since I actually got to spend time with you. Out of all the people I know in these spaces, you really do have a rich, beautiful life. Like you go to your nice dinners, you have your fun with your your partner and your dog, and and you're happy. Like you're genuinely happy. And, and I remember when we first spent that weekend um, in Napa, I was like, oh yeah, this is my person. She's my friend. Like she's, she's someone to emulate and, and to follow and learn from. And so, you know, that's, it's, it's definitely something that, um, that you should, you know, really be admired for, I think. Oh, well, again, I'm so far from perfect. And so much of why I am the way now I am now is because of all the mistakes I made in the past doing it a different, I was like, mm, not, I'm gonna learn <laughs> not doing that anymore. But my, the reason I bring this up is because one of the fears that I've seen a lot of people either starting their business or wanting to get to that next level is they're afraid that it's going to destroy their lives. Mm-hmm. They're afraid that they won't be able to either handle the responsibility, that they won't have the leadership skills, that they're not smart enough or intelligent enough, or they don't have the capacity to handle the kind of success that they dream of truly. Managing people. Yes, all of this. And what I've seen time and time again through us kind of shepherding all these beautiful souls through B school is like, They come in to learn all these skills, but what they come out with is such confidence in themselves. Like here's really my mission as a teacher in this realm. My goal is to help people think and make wise decisions for themselves. When you're on the go 24-7 like me, guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. (laughs) And that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials, it's been my go-to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first-time mom, for a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully our jobs and everything in between, but 
It's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're gonna love it. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, Plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's frizzy Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, dot com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, dot com promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. As a first-time mom of the baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps us bag stashed in the nursery. <laughs> you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. (laughs) Bonus, wonderful pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, They keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. You had a lot lot stacked against you. You had parents who did not support you financially or emotionally. Um, I know you had difficulty just even learning in school, but yet look at what you've done. And like, what, Adam, like, what are some of the things that you would attributed to do you think it's like i know some people say like hey you're just born with it and that's it and then that's like so discouraging to some people you know do you think that that's you you just born with something special like maria too or do you were there things and choices that you made that other people could make too um i was born with an ability to be funny that was kind of a an ability I, i was born with on the other hand Um, you know, people always say like, who's the funniest guy, you know? And, um, I, I go, you've never heard of him because, you know, that's the way this business works. There's, there's plenty of funny people that you've never heard of. And then there's plenty of unfunny people that are household names. So it's not all, it's not a straight line from ability to success, obviously. I mean, it's that way in many businesses, but Um, I had a good sense of humor. Um, and then I always just kind of played the slow game. Like I was very much life is long. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, it's okay that you are, I understood when I was 
21, 22, 23. And I was, you know, living with roommates and working construction and driving a truck and, you know, making nine bucks an hour and everything. <clears throat> I, I was sort of like, yeah, this is where you should be given, given your circumstances, you know, like, you know, your family of origin and the, the, the neighborhood you grew up in and your education. And I, I was like that eh, this seems about right, right, right now. You're not, you're not better than anything. You'll take any job, any job you get, you'll just work super hard and try to impress whoever the, whoever's in charge and see if you can get another buck an hour, you know, next year. But you don't want to be doing this for an extended period of time, but you're going to be doing it for what feels like a long time. Because when you're 22 and you think I'm going to be doing this until I'm 30 or 31, it does feel like a really long ass time. But if you can get somewhere and you can be in your early 30s and having some success, well, then that would be great. Like you'd, you'd still be young and you could do that for the next 40 years, you know? So I was very like, I was the guy who was like, do you want, uh, 10 M&Ms today or 20 M&Ms tomorrow or maybe never. I was like, I'll wait. I'll just wait on the 20 like that, that, and I don't know if that's a, a temperament. I don't know if that's genetic. I don't, I don't know what it is. Most the people I grew up with would just snatch the 10 M&Ms and go running yeah, laughing. Most people. And I was like, right, but get back to me in 10 years. Yeah. And my friends were like, who the fuck cares about 10 years? We're worried about 10 minutes, minute. you know? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, but we're going to be, I kept saying, we're going to be 30 one day. We still want to all be living on top of each other in an apartment and driving a piece of crap pickup truck. So I just had, I had comedic ability, which I was aware of, but <laughs> it didn't mean any, any good was going to come of it or I was going to make any money, but I, I owned it. I was like, you have a sense of humor. And then I was like, and I got time. No, there's no pressure. There's no family business to go into. You know, don't have kids. Don't get married. Don't get someone pregnant. You know, don't buy a brand new pickup truck because then you're going to have your payments mm -hmm. and insurance and you're not going to be able to go out and take your groundling classes. So just just play the slow game. And I blinked my eyes and I was 30. You know, and then I met Jimmy Kimmel and then everything started kind of taking off. From and, and he wasn't Jimmy Kimmel at the time. Like, let's be clear. <clears throat> no. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, so no. like you met your sugar daddy, so to speak. No, he, he was Jimmy the sports guy at the time. And he didn't have a whole lot of clout. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny because when I, I, I do think back on, uh, on those early days with Jimmy and Jimmy would go into the program director's office and go, uh, Hey, I got an idea for a bit. And then the program director would go, that's a bad idea. We're not going to do it. Shut the door. <laughs> and it was weird having Jimmy before he was Jimmy Kimmel. He was Jimmy, the sports guy. He was trying to hustle these bits and pitch these ideas. And like, I got an idea for a TV show and everyone's like, that's a lame idea. We're not going to do it. I, when I early on in radio, they said to me, uh, Hey, what if you went and did like a weekend show on KLSX or something? And I said, yeah, what if I did it with Jimmy? And they were like, no, he's a <laughs> producer. He's not, <laughs> by the way, here's how radio goes. They go, he's not talent. He's like a creator. He's like a producer, but he's not talent. You're talent. He's not talent. Mm. And then it's like, yeah, yeah then he hosted the Oscars. So, you know, what's interesting though, I, the, the point in there that's so special is that you have to be patient. Right. Like I think as you're telling me all the people that were rejecting Jimmy and his ideas, I think back to everyone who was rejecting my ideas. I would go to said show <clears throat> with all of these these topics that I wanted to do stories on that I thought would help people because it was stuff that I was interested in or things that I needed. And when there's a need, you know that you're not the only one. Right. And so 
it really is about hanging in and kind of back to where you went in your mind. It's just being patient and 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 kind of just going with it and and just continuing to be consistent, not trying to just rush and and grab really fast. Um, yeah, well, I think <clears throat> there's I think there's a like a misnomer, which is, you know, people always go, yeah, you got to believe in yourself. Like there's a lot of got to believe in yourself discussions. And I was never of that camp. I never really believed in myself. I didn't really have any ex good examples of believing in myself or why I should believe myself. Like, I was mostly just doing it out of desperation. I, I wasn't believing in myself. I, I and, and also believing in yourself. It was sort of neither here nor there. Like I was going to pitch my ideas. I was going to show up early. I was going to try to get mic time. I was going to try to, you know, grab any opportunity or if anyone said, you know, hey, you want to do an early morning Saturday home improvement show? I was like, I will. Sure. I don't care what the money is. I'm I'm there. Like, but I never thought I believe in myself. I'm going to will this into existence. I was just sort of get up and go do it and just yeah. keep just keep chipping away. I don't think that any of us really know what we're capable of until it happens, truly, because Again, I'm looking back and I'm thinking of myself. It, I never said to myself, oh, I believe in myself. I just had the balls to try. And then I'd get rewarded with success. And that builds your confidence and your belief in yourself as you go along. So now I know that I can go out and kill it on a live show and and do, you know, host New Year's Eve in Times Square. Um, but that comes with, you know, lots of kind of taking those steps and having courage. What I love about Adam facing Maria, is, and again, you, you were hosting ET at 22. What I love about Adam's story is it's, it's, to me, it's more relatable because, you know, he's on a construction site and, you know, in harsh conditions, swinging a hammer for a very I was long selling time. selling sausages. You were, you were at 19 and 20, but I'm saying and like. See, I'm trying to negate my, my No, I'm not doing that. I'm janitor. I worked no, hard. No, but you got your wins early, Maria, yeah. and that helped you. And, Ad, and what I think is relatable about Adam's story, and for a lot of us out there who aren't you, it's that he, he kept getting the doors closed in his face, and he didn't. You also, Adam, how did you take the rejection? All the rejections you must have dealt with in, before, you know, things started happening in your 30s. Um. I was super philosophical and I didn't get rejected that much. And the reason I didn't get rejected that much is because I didn't go out for things. Like I was like, I had a roommate. He was also trying to like a struggling actor. And like, I remember one morning I got up and he was just sitting in our rented house at our dining room table and he had all his headshots and he had his resume and, had this like list of agents from Samuel French, the, you know, actor's bookstore. And he had all these manila envelopes and he was just filling them out. And I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm going to, I'm trying to get an agent. And I was like, how's that work? He's like, I got up this list of agents and then I uh, put my headshot in and my resume in. And I was like, yeah, I don't see why anyone would open an envelope with my picture in it and my resume in it and think I must represent this person. I, they're just going to throw it away. And I was like, nah. And, and there would be like, Oh, you want to go on this audition or that audition? And I was like, no, because I'm not good. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a good actor. I'm not a good cold reader. I, I don't have a lot of confidence. I have raw ability. That's completely unharnessed and undeveloped. So I didn't really get a lot of doors slammed in my face because I didn't really knock on any doors. I was just like, uh, I was insanely pragmatic with myself, which is you are not ready to go out and be a comedian because you have no training. You have no experience. You, you grew up, you know, playing sports and running around North Hollywood. And then you went to a construction site why would you be able to go out and, and, and be a competent comedian or, um, or author or anything? I was like, you, you, you're not ready for any of that stuff. So 
I, I didn't really go out and try. I was just like, I, my job is to try to get myself ready. So wow. at some point when I am ready or when the door does open or when, when it is time to knock on the door, I'm going to be totally prepared to seize it. Mm. And what happened with Jimmy is I had spent, you know, eight years probably doing improvisational groundlings, Acme theater, blah, 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 blah. And when I've had my opening, like when I had my little window, my, my opportunity with Jimmy and K rock and the whole boxing match they were having and all that stuff, I was like, now, now I move. Like I've been training for almost a decade. I've got nothing. I haven't made a penny. I've had no success. Here's your window. Now's the time to move. Damn. Right. If you want to be a doctor, there's a formula. If you want to be an entrepreneur, there really is kind of a formula. You just have to be okay with failing a lot. I feel like different <laughs> yes. entrepreneur. Um, yeah. So yeah, any nuggets you can give so anybody who's listening can, you know, can feel like they're they're learning along the way, learning the Kender way. Yeah, you know, I think first of all, you've got to love what you're doing. If you're doing something just to make money, I'm going to tell you right now to stop doing it. And I know that sounds like what? This is, you know, we're in this world where, you know, we everyone thinks about, oh, we want to be rich. We want to have a nice car, we want to have a nice house. But at the end of the day, I promise you, if you're just doing it for money, you're going to be miserable and unhappy and it's not probably going to survive if you're starting a business because there are going to be so many difficult times that if you don't have the passion and the love for what you're doing, you're not going to get out of those ugly valleys like we talked about earlier and get to your next peak because you don't the passion's what's going to get you out of there and that excitement for what you love to do. So that's one. Two, I would say, you know, with the hat business, I was so focused that the hat thing had to work that I was making jewelry for my store. And that was selling the day I put it out on my little counter. But the hats, you know, I'd be like, I went, so I would sell like a hat a day or whatever. Now hats are like a big, much bigger deal. So I was way ahead of my time, Maria. But you were, uh, I know, but. I didn't see what was working because in my brain, I was like, I've got, I'm going to open hat stores and it's going to be the hat Mm -hmm. thing. And so I would say to anybody thinking about starting a business, when you're in it, sometimes you got to have to like have that 360 approach and be okay to pivot and be agile that maybe there's something in there that's really working, but maybe what you thought was going to be the main thing might not work. And that's okay. And sometimes putting that to bed and, you know, I had to fail, I failed, I closed that store and customers kept calling me for the jewelry, not hats. And so it was forcing me to continue to make jewelry. And I was kind of like, uh, hello, Kendra, maybe there's something here to this jewelry business. Um, So that would be two. And then the last thing I'd say is you've got to put, you've got to be disruptive. If you're doing what everyone else is doing, you've already failed. So, you know, if you're like, I want to make jewelry that looks like X, Y, and Z, the same people, you're going to be just one of a million. So you have to do something disruptive. Um, You've got to put your own unique fingerprint on things. And otherwise, there's no point in doing it, right? So really looking at your competition and thinking about, one, what's out there and what do people really want? What do you want that you can't find? What do you need that you can't find? Because nine times out of 10, there's a lot of people that feel the same way that you do. So I think that's super important. And then know that you're not going to be able to do this alone. No one can be the best CEO, CFO, uh, product developer, planner, all those things. So eventually you have to build a winning team and be really honest with yourself on what you're great at, but more important, be honest on what you suck at because you need to hire people that are great at the things that you suck at, right? <laughs> so yeah. I think sometimes, you know, when you entrepreneur, you can get that like, I can do it all. Cannot do it all um, and be really honest and open and hire awesome people that are smarter than you that are. And when I say smarter, that doesn't mean that you're not smart. Just saying, hey, when it comes to Excel spreadsheets, I am not good at them. I need somebody who doesn't does those way better and can handle that. Now, I like to read them, but I don't want to have to put one together. So, you know, it was it was things like that that I think can really help somebody when they're starting a business. And, you know, look, get a mentor. That's my biggest piece of advice. Not just one, if you can find more than one. Um, I am running a business every single day that's bigger than it was the night before. And so I'm in uncharted territory every morning. And so I have amazing mentors that have run businesses that have built bigger businesses than mine that I call and I'll say, 
hey, we're going through this right now. What are your thoughts? Do you have a few minutes? I'd love to get your take on this. I'm I'm always wanting to be a sponge. I want to learn um, constantly. And I now get to mentor other young entrepreneurs who are, you know, because I've already traveled that road they're walking on. And so I think having mentors that you respect and they don't have to be in your field. They could be in different businesses, but they how they run their business, how they treat their people, how they uh, you know reach out to their community, all those things matter. So finding good mentors will get you a long, long way in business. Yeah. And I like the advice of even people who aren't in your business because they'll be able to look at it a little differently, maybe yes. something that somebody else might not have. Um, and, and the idea of pivoting, not being so rigid and stuck on something, but you know, in terms of hiring people, when you are a small business and I know you were that at one point, how do you hire the best when you can't afford the best? What tips do you have for that? Yeah, I think, okay. Initially there were seven of us for a long time. Um, now we've got over 3,000 employees across the country. I will say over 95% women, by the way, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Uh, but and initially, it was I hire on heart. I know that sounds so crazy. We do the but, same thing. Kevin says yeah. all the time, hire for heart, train for skill. Yes, yes. You can train skills, but you can't train that heart, that love, that you know, that just that being a good, thoughtful, kind person. Those were, that was super important to me. And people that had passion, if they were excited about it. So I think about like, you know, I was hiring design assistants first because I couldn't make all my samples. It was out of like necessity. You know, I was making everything myself out of my extra bedroom of my house (laughs) and, you know, I needed help. I couldn't, I couldn't do all of that. So it was like a production assistant. Then it was a design assistant. Then I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to go to market. I, I mean, so I was bringing like some of these people were then going to market and they were designers with me and we were selling at the Javits Center. We were, I mean, we were doing all these different things within the organization. And so finding people that have that flexibility to wear a lot of hats in the beginning is really Mm -hmm. great. Then you're going to get to a point where you're starting to see things increase and you have to make that pivotal decision of, I need to hire some really good experienced folks. And those are going to cost me a little more money. When I hired my first COO, um, it was 10 years into the business and um, I had to take my salary down to almost nothing to hire him. And I remember our controller saying, Kendra, we can't afford him. And I said, we can't not afford him. You've got to invest some time. So we're investing in machinery or we're investing in manufacturing or investing in various things, but investing in people in those key growth stages is probably one of the most important things you can do uh, when you're running a business. And that has been pivotal as, you know, from then to now, we went from seven employees to 3000. We went from, you know, a million and a half dollars to now we're valued over at a billion, you know, dollars. So think about the amount of people that we've been hiring, but it's still on heart. I mean, they can bring in a gold-plated resume, Maria. And if they're not nice or they seem a little, I'm like, you're not going to be able to work here. Like we just, it's not going to work. I've got to understand and I agree. Right. Got it. I mean, but but when you walk in our stores, when you walk in our offices, you just feel that it's, it's not this, you know, bitchy fashion. It's like these kind people rooting for one another. You know, we have mother's nursing rooms. We've got, you know, babies in the office, kids running around on scooters, you know, with the children's play area. We've got yoga in the lawn. Like it's this environment that is just loving and supportive. Um, And, you know, that's something that I think I'm probably most proud of what we've developed here for sure. That's so cool. I love that. We have a nail salon too. So if you come, you can get your nails done. It's, and then that's complimentary if you work here. Wait, that's genius. That is the hardest thing for women to keep up with is getting your nails done. And unfortunately, we live in a time where it's like kind of a necessity. You can't. And we sell jewelry. So we want our fingers to look nice. And we never, I have never had time. So this, all these perks are coming from a mother of three who is always running around like a crazy person. I'm like, what would make 
What would make me so happy is if we had a smoothie bar and a nail salon. So I could have something that I'm not starving at three o'clock when I'm ready to fall apart. I need a healthy smoothie and we need nails. And so I'm like, we're giving this complimentary to all employees so that they can go. They'll have meetings, getting pedicures, like with their laptops sitting next to each other. It's amazing. It's, it's like a woman's utopia here. I love that. You know, when we built AfterBuzz, my husband put in like laundry machines. So our host, because he knew everyone's like burning the candle at both ends. It's so hard to get their laundry done. So we would have our laundry machines there for them. And, you know, we made it an environment where it felt kind of like a bar. So people could like feel like they had a night out and it was like a cool thing. So everybody, well, certain people I know in certain companies try to give some kind of atmosphere for their employees so that they feel um, taken care of. I love the nail salon. I'm totally going to steal that someday. Kelsey Pooja, we're all going to be getting our nails done. Yes. We go next level. So it's amazing. (laughs) We're in. (laughs) Um, But I also think, um, I think, you know, the, the hiring is always, you know, kind of like the hardest thing is how do you find the right people and, um, and that's always challenging, but I, I love where y- you set an example. You're like, I'm, I, I have to do this and I'm not going to take a salary. And I've done that myself where it's like, nope, nope. We yeah. put money somewhere else. If you're going to try to go right. for it. But I think too, you know, one of the things people say, well, how did you find these people? And in the earlier days, I would just tell anyone I knew that might be connected in any way to any business people or, you know, whatever, what I wanted, like my dream COO, what he would look, he or she would look like, you know, what, what their personality would be, what they were really good at things that they might've done in their past lives of, of business, whatever. And literally one of those people that I would just, it's kind of like when you, you know, look for like the man of your dreams, you tell your friends, I want a guy who's like this, this, that, right. We write down all the things we want. When you're thinking about hiring key people in your organization, it's like, write your dream person down and yeah. then share it because the world can't read your mind. So, you know, if we want things to happen, we got to put it out there and we've got to, and we've got to let people see it. Um, Same thing with like building our company. Like we do a painted picture of every three years, what we want. And that includes not just like, you know, how many stores and, you know, sales and things like that, but it's like, we put a vision of building this women's Institute for other women, young women to teach them leadership and entrepreneurial mindset and give that to all women, not just women that were in the business school. We wanted women who were in, you know, any field, right? And that became a reality because we put it out there and we could all see it and we could see what that could look like. And then we could build the roadmap on how to get there. And people, as since we knew that's what we were looking for and we would talk about it, we'd have people call us, well, I heard you're going to be doing this thing, or you might be doing this thing. How do we get involved? How do we help with that? And all of a sudden, we started getting all of these great people to help us build something that was really just a dream. Um, And I think that's such an important thing when you're looking for hiring um, or anything in your life, really, is to really think of, like, close your eyes and really think about what does this look like? Or what does this person look like? And then tell everybody you can and hope that you know, someone will call you one day and say, Hey, you know, I met this person who just is looking for something that might be a right fit. Um, and that's that. usually how you find the greatest people or potentially a boyfriend, you know, it works either way. You're telling your <laughs> friends and the universe, which yes. one, one or the other will deliver. Yes, yes. I want to ask you, because at the beginning of this, you said that, you know, you're building this, this Institute and, and doing all of this kind of like giving back to the young entrepreneurs, because you want them to know, no matter what their background, their parents were Rockefellers, they can do this. They can build a business like this. So did you go to business school? <laughs> no, I'm a college dropout, Maria. Uh, proudly. Sure. I went, I got a master's degree in the school of hard knocks. I'm not, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but um, no, you know what? I, my stepfather was sick uh, when I was in high school. He, he was diagnosed with brain cancer and my whole world kind of shifted. I, so I ended up taking, t- I was going to just take time off after my freshman year of college to, I was at MD Anderson with my mom a lot. And I really wanted to focus on that year of just being there. We knew that he was, you know, struggling at that point. And my intention was to always go back. And then at 19, I started this hat business 
um, motivated by, you know, what I was living through. And I really did. I thought, well, I'll start this and then I'll go back. I'll go back. And then five years, I'm running this little hat company and just trying to make it work, working seven days a week. Like it was not working, but I was like, this is going to work. Um, and I wanted to do so. I, but then I lost my stepfather. And so it was like this business for me was more than just a business. It was like, I wanted to do this for him too. And so I think, you know, that's, it's hard when you go through things like that because you're like, oh my God, then you fail at it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's, it was a really trying, I think, time, but at the same time, it's like, it led me to this. So that hat box was my education. Um, I never got back to school, but that little store running it seven days a week, paying my rent, trying to figure out overhead, understanding what margins look like. If I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't have built the business I have today. And it was my bridge that I needed to get me to where I am. And there was no amount of business education that I could have ever gotten at a university that would have given me the skill set to be able to really understand what I needed to do to build this successful business today. So I think we, you know, we all have these visions. We go to high school, we go to college, we get a good job. This is the path, right? And my path got derailed because of a personal family issue, but it was exactly where I needed to go. Um, it was exactly the track I needed to get on. Uh, for where my future was going to lead me. And I think if we can sometimes embrace those moments and say, there might be a reason that this is happening to me right now. And even with the failure of the hat box, I look back and I think it, I think that every day that that happened, because if it hadn't, I would not be sitting here with you today. I would not be doing the things that we're doing. I needed that time there. And I needed that failure to be where I am today, for sure. So for me, that was the best education I could have. Anybody who's listening to this who says, this sounds like a really cool concept. Yeah. And I would love to have more, a more diverse staff and be able to be um, inclusive and helpful and all of that. How would you help them go about this so that it is um, a little bit easier for them and not so daunting? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a few things there. I mean, I think first let's, let's put away, put to the side for a second that, okay, we're going to, employ people with autism, right? That can be, like you said, it can be a, it can be a little scary for people, it can feel a little daunting. Let's, we can first look at how are you, how's your business actually operating? Are you having trouble, like are you hiring people that aren't typically working out for you? You're having a pretty low success rate with your, with your new hires or with your employees. If that's the case, the first thing to do is to build a more objective hiring process. One that's focused on the actual results that you need in a role that we're building, you know, work sample tests, job auditions, structured interviews, where we're asking the same questions and we're actually grading them on an objective scoring rubric. And we're doing those things to objectively identify talent. Because a lot of times when we're hiring, we're just kind of being our normal bias selves that we're saying, okay, that person, they're attractive. They gave me, you know, great eye contact when I met them. They gave me a good, strong handshake. And then the they rest seem of the, fun. Yeah, exactly. They seem fun, but n- none of those things in most roles, those aren't necess- very good, um, very good identifiers of, of someone being successful in that position. So by trying to find those more objective ways of, of identifying talent, then it's a lot easier to be inclusive. And a lot of times, you know, someone who's neurodivergent or someone who may come from a background that you didn't expect might wow you and you might be able to say, okay, this person, I believe can actually do this because I'm objectively looking at the role. The other thing is do the people in your organization, do they understand what their objectives are in their position, right? Have we structured the work to be clear and based on results where a lot of organizations, I, I think it's, it's over 50% of people struggle with ambiguity in their roles. So they don't know what they're supposed to do. And people with autism are going to struggle mightily there, but nobody brings their best selves to work when they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. They end up spending time doing things that aren't really effective or just simply stressing out. That's such a great point because I sit here and I'm like, oh, well, then I have to do all the work to like really like lay it out. But guess what? You got to lay it out for everybody or else you're going to have a mediocre result at best, probably. That's right. That's that's exactly right. And one of the it cool things- It makes you better. Holy yep. moly, this is it, so cool. It makes you better. It makes 
the whole organization run better. And if you're ready to take that step to try to think about actually employing people with autism, then design it as a, as a test, right? Design it as a training program. That's typically what we recommend. So, okay, I've got this role that's difficult for me to fill. Let me build a, a training program around how to do this role. Let's invite some people in to do that training program. And that will help you structure it really well. So by going through that process, you're going to learn how to structure it. You're going to learn, well, what is the pass fail for this training program? So what are the actual measures that matter? And then you invite some people, you know, with autism or, or neurodivergencies in, and you let them go through the training program. Worst case scenario, okay, you did the training program. It didn't work out. There's an, there's a, an easy way to move on. Or more likely, you'll find, wow, that person did awesome. I definitely want them on my team. And that, so I, that's a good way to, to look at it like a training program as a prototype for an autism employment program within an existing organization and keying in on the roles that are the hardest for you to fill, because that's typically where the most value is going to come from. That's so cool. I think, yeah, I've learned over the years um, that, and I started, I mean, you went to business school, so you probably learned a lot of this in there. I started creating my own, you know, checklists and scorecards and things. So when I was interviewing people, I wasn't just remembering the person that I had a, a social connection with or, you know, was super personable because you like, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and like sometimes isn't what you need. You need maybe that person who can do the solo kind of job and isn't somebody who needs all this attention and human connection mm -hmm. or whatever, like every job is different, but you have to look at it like that. Um, yeah. But I also love the idea of having to lay it all out really clearly um, because for any kind of employee, that's going to be important. Yeah. So much of it is context, right? Like we, we look at somebody who's struggling and it's easy to just to, um, attribute that to, to their own skill set when more than more often than not, it's not a limitation in their ability, but it's the way that you're communicating the role or, or the task to that person. It's, it's something that I think we really discount a lot because it's easier to just to blame the person instead of saying, taking a step back, being curious, trying to talk to them and why are you struggling? What's what's a matter here? And then fixing those actual pr problems, those roadblocks that they're running up against. That not only can help your business be a lot better, but it, it makes you as a leader be perceived as someone who actually really cares about their people, who really cares about getting it right. I mean, it's so awesome that you went and you actually built these checklists and the, these, these actual questions and these scorecards very few people do that. Very <laughs> I was very frustrated, Tom. Yeah. I was getting it all wrong. I was like, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> but, but how often do you go through that, right? And you, you're going through your checklist, you're going through your scorecard, and your first initial reaction to the person changes in that interview. It's got to be half the time for me, mm -hmm. where like my first reaction to this person is like, oh, this person's awesome. It's like, well, ah, I don't know. Look, or red flag. They just said something. You exactly. got to write it down or remember later because you romanticize everybody after. Exactly. And then when you're desperate to fill the position, you romanticize even more. It's even worse. And you end up with, and then you end up with people in the organization that weren't a fit ever. And those are generally the ones that stick around <laughs> longer. And now you have to figure out what to do with them. Oh, and they're very hard to get rid of. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. So I in in full transparency, just got this book right when I um, sat down to do this. So um, I'm very excited to read it. But you have a chapter here about accountability is a tool for growth. Yeah. Can you expand on that for everybody? Because Kelsey's got it all marked up because she got it and she got <laughs> to read it. But um, I didn't get it in time, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I think the accountability chapter is such a cool one because so often we look at accountability as this like stick that we hit people over the head with. And a lot of times you you get a little, you know, when, when new managers or, or folks start to try to hold people accountable, it gets perceived that way where it's, it's unfair. And, you know, we're holding people accountable just to pass the blame off to them. And that, that's not necessarily a good thing. 
But when you do the work that we talked about in this book, which is, so first we hire people that have personal responsibility. Then we are really clear about the expectations. We give them good training and good tools for them to be able to effectively do their jobs. And we build managers and a culture that is committed to helping people grow. So when people do fail, it's looked at as a learning experience instead of it being looked at as an opportunity to blame. Now we can use accountability as the ultimate tool for growth because we all need someone to hold us to a higher standard, right? We all can get lazy or we can get, um, you know, our lives can, can, can make us lose sight of what's important. And we can use accountability to bring us back to center and to push us to take those next steps to stretch. And that happens a lot in our organization because we're able to, because people know that, that we care about them and they care about their jobs. So people want to stretch and that becomes, and it's something for me as a leader, sometimes that I lose sight of too, because like I, I end up loving my people so much and, and believing in them so much that, that sometimes it's like, oh, well, that's okay. They'll get it next time. And that's, I'm, that's me doing a disservice to that person. I have to constantly remind myself that being that like easy, easygoing mm -hmm. boss isn't actually helping them. It's helping yep. them when you push them, right? When you say, I believe in you, I know you can do better. This is what, this is the goal. Let's get, let's figure out how to meet that goal together. Yeah. I love that. We do that all the time here. I'm always like, I could say nothing, but that's not how you're going to get better. That's not how you're going to grow. And I am a poor leader. If I don't stop you and tell you that this isn't the, the way to do this, or this isn't the the best approach or something. Um, I, first of all, you, you just rattled off so many things that you guys do that just, is so impressive to me. And I want you to kind of go back and go into all the responsibilities, the clear expectations, yeah. all of that. Because I think that for all of us who are running anything, it's really important to know all of those steps. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll give, I'll tell a story about our early experience with the car wash. So we opened our first store. We had run a training program, like I said, to test the concept before then. But at this point, I knew nothing about actually running a car wash. Like I couldn't, I was the guy who couldn't even hold a pair of pliers, went to the car wash only when somebody wrote wash me on the back of my car. So it was- but I have to yeah. interrupt you only because I also love that someone let you go in and work in their business yeah. knowing you were trying to build that business. I think that a lot of us think we have to do it on our own and we have to figure it out on our own. Um, but even that is a lesson in, in itself. Yeah. Filling those knowledge gaps, right? Nobody goes into a new business knowing everything about their business. And if you're, especially if you're doing it with, with a mission and there's a higher purpose to it, people will help you. Mm. Paul Fazio, the, the, the gentleman who I, I mentioned earlier, who's the owner of Sunny's Enterprises, who owned this car wash, this guy, probably the most successful person in the industry, he, he, you know, he built Sonny's from, I think when he took it over from his dad, it was a $5 million a year business. It's well into the hundreds of millions now. And he, he built a bunch of his own car washes. He sold those so he could focus on the manufacturing. But this guy took a meeting with me and my dad, who were just some, you know, chumps off the street, pretty much mm. like, oh, big deal. Like they want to open a car wash. Lots of people want to do that. You want to employ people with autism? He thought we were nuts, but he was willing to listen. And when he saw that what we were trying to do was legit, like we were really trying to do this for the right reasons, he opened up his whole organization to us. They have a training program called Car Wash College. We went through all that stuff. That was- There's a Car Wash College? There's a Car Wash College, yep. Oh goodness. Yep, that's right. So we, we got to go through all of that. We got to um, use his store. He put He invested money into that location so we could test our interior cleaning processes there. Like he opened so many doors for us. And that happened a bunch of times. Dr. Michael Alessandria at University of Miami, he helped us recruit our first employees with autism where we had no credibility in the community. People thought we were nuts. And he is one of the most well-respected people in the autism community in Florida. And so he was willing to lend himself, lend his staff to help us find those first people to train and to prove that this works with. You definitely don't have to do it alone. And, and in fact, that's what, whenever we talk to new entrepreneurs or people that want to do this, that's, I think, one of the most important things. Ask for help. 
tell people you don't know what you're you're doing in certain areas and they will help you find people who do. It's so important. This podcast and all related content published or distributed by or on behalf of Maria Menunos or MariaMenunos.com is for informational purposes only and may include information that is general in nature and that is not specific to you. Any information or opinions expressed or contained herein are not intended to serve as or replace medical advice, nor to diagnose, prescribe, or treat any disease, condition, illness, or injury, and you should consult the healthcare professional of your choice regarding all matters concerning your health, including before beginning any exercise, weight loss, or healthcare program. If you have or suspect you may have a healthcare emergency, please contact a qualified healthcare professional for treatment. Any information or opinions provided by a guest expert or host featured within website or on company's podcast are their own, not those of Maria Menounos or the company. Accordingly, Maria Menounos and the company cannot be responsible for any results or consequences or actions you may take based on information or opinions. Hey, Heal Squad, we have been on quite the journey together, and we're hearing from so many of you just how much this show is helping you heal and get better, and it makes us feel so good. We love, love, love it, and we just ask that you don't keep it to yourself. Spread the message and share the show or your favorite episode with your friends. And if you want to help us even more, you can leave us a five-star rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and follow us on Instagram at Heal Squad. You can also DM us anytime because we love connecting with you. And finally, you can also join us on Patreon for our monthly live heal events with world-class healers and ad-free episodes exclusive only to Patreon and our Super Heal Squad for as little as $10 a month. So go to patreon.com backslash heel squad to join. Getting better isn't easy, friends, but as I say all the time, it's a whole lot easier if we can do it together. We love you all so much, and we love doing this thing called life with you.